0: You're listening to the Flying Goat Farm Podcast with your host, Lisa Check. This podcast is for people who love yarn and fiber and sheep, who love to knit and crochet and maybe even felt. We will be talking about the crossroads between keeping sheep and goats, making yarn, and expressing your colorful self everybody, and welcome to Episode 3 of Season 5, all about natural dyes. And today, we're going to be talking about the ways that we can find those dyes. But first, here's what's happening on the farm. So I'm recording this um, mid-April. Oh my gosh, my wisteria is just going wild. You just walk outside and it's just full of perfume and the beautiful blossoms. I just love it. The guy that comes in does our garden um and mows our lawn. He hates my wisteria. But I love it. And yeah, it does get a little bit out of hand, especially in the summertime after the blossoms are gone and, you know, it it sends out all these um tendrils and the stuff that I have to keep um cut back. But oh my gosh, this time of year it is just so beautiful and worth it and I just love it. Um we We had Emily, our shearer and good friend, brought a whole bunch of um, baby goats. I think they're mostly uh, milking uh, goats and they're um, all females. And there's 40 of them, and it's that like they are out there chomping down the grass. It's really wonderful. You know, we don't have enough animals to eat down all of our grass, and I don't want to be out there, uh, you know, using gasoline or my time to be out there mowing. Um, and so it's really great to have someone who can bring their animals down and um, eat, eat our, you know, really nutritious grass. And um, so we're really, really happy about that. And that's that's what's happening on the farm. So with natural dyes, there's a bunch of different ways that you can attain them. And the one that is really the most, um, probably the most accessible is using the raw materials themselves. So you can forage them, you can plant them, you can also uh, buy uh, flowers and uh, various other raw materials through dye houses as well. So you can harvest the wood if you have a tree that comes down in the neighborhood or um, a branch that comes down, you can always um, harvest that and use that. Um, you can also do a lot of different planting, planting marigolds and indigo and sunflowers and dyers coreopsis and, and even matter. I would say, if you're interested in using matter and you're thinking about dyeing it, put it in a pot, I think. A rather large pot, but it is invasive. We planted it in raised beds and it has, um, It didn't really, they're not really jumping the beds because they're going underneath. It's going underneath into the the dirt and up on the other side. Um, And it's not the most particularly beautiful plant um, when it's growing. And what you use on matter is the roots. And you have to let it grow for at least two years, if not more, before you have roots of any size that will give you some color. So that's my caveat with um, matter. Grow it in a pot if you really want to grow it. So when you're using raw materials, whether they're flowers or leaves or parts of the wood or the husks of uh, black walnuts or the husks of hickory nuts, you usually need a weight of one to one. So if you're dyeing just one skein of yarn, which is usually a four ounce skein, you're going to need about four ounces of dye stuff. And that's a lot. So um, if you're going to be planting, plant a lot. <laughs> that's that's my, uh, my suggestion for you. Plant a lot. If you are thinking about growing marigolds, get a lot. Um, so when you have the raw materials, um, you will put those into water and kind of make a tea out of them. So I usually ge- heat them gently for about an hour and then I let them sit overnight and that's it will release the dye into the water and then you can use that to dye your yarn or fabric um, it's best to put loose dye stuffs into some kind of a mesh bag and what I have used for that is um, there are bags that you can get for making nut milks uh, um, on Amazon or any other place like that and um, it has very very It's a very fine mesh, so nothing goes through it except for the very tea, you know, whatever gets dissolved in the water. Or if you don't want to get the mesh bags, then what you need to do is strain the liquid away from the dye stuffs using some kind of a sieve. Now, you can use those teas and keep those teas on hand um, and, and use them later. Um, or you can use them repeatedly, getting lighter and lighter colors each time you dye from them, which we call um, a, use doing an exhaust dye. And you can also take these, those exhaust dyes and, um, and combine them together. For instance, you could take a, a marigold exhaust and you can combine it with a matter exhaust and get a really nice kind of... Um, like salmon-y coral color, which would be really, really pretty. It's gonna be lighter, it's gonna be more pastel, um, because you're using the exhausted dyes. And you just keep using them until, you don't until you can't tell that it's doing any dyeing at all. And then the beauty also of this is that any of those dye stuffs that you collected that you used for the tea that are in those bags or that you strain out, that can just go in your compost pile. So it really is a zero waste kind of a situation. That water, the tea that you have made that's, that becomes your dye stock, again, you can go and put that out on your. Um, you know, on your, in your vegetable beds or, you know, in, the, in your flower garden and use that as kind of gray water, and it will do great for you. So just a word about the amounts of dye to use. Um, so natural dyeing and dyeing in general really is, it is kind of scientific. You do need to do some math if you want. Um, But it's also very much an art, especially when you're talking about natural dyeing. Because the flowers that I grow this season are going to have a totally, probably a totally different, you know, growing um, experience next season. So each year, you're going to have different um, amounts of dye, different amounts of uh, flowers that you can harvest. Um, there's going to be good years. There's going to be bad years. They're always going to be a little bit different. And that's where um, where having the art of natural dyeing comes in where you can, you know, add a little something of this, add a little something of that, kind of like you're cooking, kind of like you're having a conversation with the pot and deciding, you know, what do I want to add to this to make this a color that is more pleasing for me? But. For the science part of it, um, this is what you need to do. Uh, All of the dye houses, they will give you some information about DOS, which is depth of shade. That's basically how light or how dark you want it. Typically, I'll look at what the dye house is telling me. I'll always go for the medium depth of shade, um, and then I will know that from there... I can go lighter and lighter by using those exhaust pots if I want to. So the depth of shade will give you um, the kind of the percentage of W.O.F. So W.O.F. is weight of fiber. That means you need to know what the weight of your dried fiber is going to be. Is that going to be a piece of fabric? Is that going to be a a skein of yarn or several skeins of yarn? You need to have that weight and then you're going to multiply the weight by the percent to find out how much dye that you need to use. For instance, cochineal extract can be very, very um, concentrated. So in one recipe, they will say you need 0.2% weight of fiber. So I'm gonna do one skein in my example here, which is four ounces. But you really need to do it in grams because I have a gram scale. So, and grams are easier to measure out uh, uh, more exactly. So four ounces is about 113 grams. So then you're gonna multiply, you're gonna change that percent into a decimal. So it's 0.002 multiplied by 113 grams and you're going to need to have 0.23 grams of cochineal to get that medium depth of shade for that one skein you could always find that um that math it's all over the internet you don't have to memorize it you can write it down though you can put it someplace special it's pretty easy and that's just again that is a rule of thumb that is a place to start, um, it doesn't have to be the end all and be all. Again, this is where your creativity comes in. It's when, where the art of being a natural dyer or a dyer in general comes into play. So let's talk about extracts. Um, extracts are made and sold by dye houses, by dye companies, and there's several very good dye houses that are in um, that are in the U.S. and also. In, um, sorry, my phone just rang. That are also in Canada, and they um, use fair trade practices. They um, use sustainable practices, that kind of thing. So they're very good. And basically, an extract is um, th- they're taking the the raw dye stuffs. They're doing they're making the tea for you out of those dye stuffs and then evaporating all the water out of it to make it into a powder. So it's highly, highly concentrated powder. And then you're gonna use that powder. You're gonna measure out the weight, just like I talked about. You're gonna mix it back in with water and then dye with them. So typically you're gonna use a whole lot less of the dye stuff in an extract form than you would if it was in the raw form because you you have taken you have made it into you've taken whatever it was a million marigold heads and you've and you've made a tea out of it you've evaporated it down and na- now maybe and this is i'm just exaggerating and extrapolating and maybe it makes a pound of powder for you to use in dyeing um and typically you use a whole lot less of the dye stuff to the weight of the fiber, you know, 1%, 2%, or like in the, in the, um, in the example of cochineal, like 0.2%, something like that. And each company's ag- extracts are also gonna be a little bit different. So use the information that comes with, um, with the purchase. Uh, from that particular company, so that you know how much to use for your dye pot. And I would also say that year to year, again, you're gonna have um, slight differences in how much needs to be used, how, what kind of color you may get, um, because of the growing conditions. Um, and the, And as we know, growing conditions all over the world are kind of changing, and um, some years they're good, and some years they're not so good. So, you know, just pay attention to that when you're buying from um, a dye house. There are some extracts that can't be evaporated all the way to powder. They become more. Um, they have more resin in them. Typically, those would be extracts that come from a wood source, um, and. Th- Uh, For instance, fustic is this way. Osage orange can be this way. And they're going to come more like a kind of a pudding kind of uh, consistency. But you're going to use it the same way. You're going to measure out the weight that you need uh, of the dye for the weight of your fiber. And you're going to dilute it with water. You're going to heat it. And you're going to dye with it. Now, some companies are now doing liquid extracts. So these are just like using dye stocks. They're already suspended in the liquid. And again, because these are proprietary formulas, you need to use the instructions that the company has on how much dye to use for how much yarn or fabric. I can tell you that um, recently I've, been purchasing a few of these logwood matter saxon blue which is a kind of indigo um, pomegranate and the amount that they say to use for a medium color on my on my yarn it's a pretty dark color so I'm finding that if I use their recipe I have a lot of dye exhaust that I can use over and over again or if I just dis- or when I make the next pot I'm going to remember oh don't put that much in like use half of what they're saying because it was just too much it was too dark. Um, again when you have these these uh, dyes that you've used once or twice, you keep you, know, you can keep using the exhaust dye pot as much as you want until you reach a color that you're not happy with. And you, yes, you can combine them. You can take um, a Saxon blue liquid dye uh, liquid extract, and you can you know mix it with a um, a pomegranate and you might get a really interesting kind of a green color. Um, so just like you would with an acid dye, you can mix two dyes together to get a different color. So here's my highlight. Uh, uh, my, my natural dye highlight is on Osage Orange this episode. I love these trees they are planted all over the united states and i i can't speak to other countries i don't i just don't know but i do know that they were planted around a lot of farms and ranches because they provide they're quick growing and they provide excellent uh windbreaks um, so you will a lot of times you'll find them all planted in a row you know on the edge of a pasture or something like that um what I love most about them, they produce this green fruit, which you, I don't think you can dye with. I have to say, I've never tried dyeing with it. Um, I think I should. The next I, I, the, when, they, um, when they come out again, when they're ripe again, I will try a dye experiment with them. But mostly they're kind of a lime green on the outside, but they're white on the inside. So I'm not sure that they have very much uh, color in them. But what I love about that green fruit is that it has a really interesting floral scent. And I like putting them in bowls and using them as the air fresheners. Um, Plus, I think they're kind of cool looking. They're um, kind of, you know, they're spherical and they're the size of maybe a softball. And they um, have all this texture on the outside and they're just so, they smell so good. So the dye comes from the wood and so to access the dye that's in the wood it needs to be shaved or made into sawdust or something like that. Um, typically how um, I've used it is um, you know getting with a woodworker um, who is making objects out of those um, trees that have been pruned or um, have the trees have been cut down or whatever like that and we can get the sawdust from that person and make it into a tee. If you're using something with the sawdust, or you, you could probably shave it like with a plane or two, um, and that would probably work. Um, remember, put it in the mesh bag, ask me how I know. Um, <laughs> I did have a, a lapse in memory, a lapse in judgment the last time that uh, we did some dyeing with, um, with wood shavings just made the tea, didn't strain it, and put the yarn in. And I have to tell you, it took me hours to get the little pieces of sawdust out of the yarn. It was a total nightmare. So don't do that. Um, use my example. So the dye is beautiful. It is a bright, clear yellow, like a sun yellow. It's really very beautiful. And again, it you can get that beautiful sun yellow in your first pot. Then you can do an exhaust pot and get a, a lighter kind of um, a butter yellow. And then you, can, you could even get, go down and maybe get an ecru or something like that. Or you can you know mix it with other exhausts that you might have to make a whole different color like using matter or something like that. Um, it's a really versatile color and like i said if you have them in your neighborhood check out those fruits cuz they really do smell great my farm yarn highlight of this episode is our yearling mohair this yarn is is really a fun fun yarn it is a fingering weight it is highly highly lustrous i would say that it's a two ply and i would say that it's a relaxed two ply it doesn't have it doesn't it isn't plied real hard which is great for mohair if a mohair yarn is plied too hard you will get a scratchy yarn again ask me how I know I know this from experience when I've had um, mills overspin my yarn so this is mohair that also comes from younger goats there's somewhere in the range of like age two to age four they still have very very nice um mohair soft mohair um, and it is nice and strong as well this yarn you can dye up into spectacular colors because it is it, it takes dye so well number one and number two is so highly lustrous that um, it just looks like um, it's reflecting back on you it's just a beautiful yarn um, I will say that when you knit with it you should use a stitch that does have a bit of structure to it um, mohair does not have a lot of elasticity and this is 100 percent mohair um, so if you are going to do a lace or something that has a lot of yarn overs in it something like that you may find that your uh your garment will s- start to sag and get bigger and you probably don't want that to happen so i would say you know making something that has cables or making something that um, has a really interesting uh, you know, knit-pearl kind of um, structure, a linen stitch or a basket weave stitch, something like that, that will have enough structure. A basket weave would be so cool because you would have the light reflecting in different ways. Oh my gosh, I should try that. That would be really cool. And you get some of that with the linen stitch, but but not as much because you're only talking about you know one one strand. Whereas if you did something kind of like basket weave, it's you have you know an inch maybe you know diff- inches going different ways, an interlock kind of a of a thing, kind of a look. So that would be my um, caveat about using the um, yearly mohair is just to make sure you have a stitch that has. A bit of structure so that you aren't disappointed with that. So I hope you enjoyed this um, delving into more of natural, uh, natural dyes, what, how they come into being, how you can find them, and how you can use them. And until next time, happy making. Well, that's this episode of the Flying Goat Farm Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a review. Have a question you'd like me to answer? Send an email to goatherd at flyinggoatfarm.com. And to see our farm and yarn and roving, check out our website at flyinggoatfarm.com. Follow me at Flying Goat Farm on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm goatherd on Ravelry. Until next time, happy making!